Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah? Yeah, I'll just mention about the Super Bowl party. Come around 6, the kickoff's around 6.25 or 6.30-ish, right? And um, this is the year of the eagle, right? I keep telling Pastor Willie, how many times is Patriots listed in the Bible versus Eagles in the Bible? So anyway, hey, I, we're just going to have a good time. Bring a dish to pass. Uh, we've got different chilies coming. I think Pastor Willie's going to cook some steak. So we're going to have a fun time. We're going to put the three Patriot fans on the left and the rest be on the right. Uh, there will be uh, birthday cakes uh, for uh, Elijah, my grandson. He's, I think it made an eagle cake, I think. Is that right? So the Eagle fans can have a piece. Just, hey, I'm, hey, we're going to have the love of the brother here. But there might be competition in it. So praise God, just come, and we'll be meeting in the admin building around 6. So, All right, praise God. You guys ready? I want to welcome the visitors here this morning. If there's any first-time guests that have come here this morning in these sections, if you wouldn't just kind of wave at us, welcome. Glad you're here this morning. We have a little uh, gift for you. I want to thank you for coming with us. A little card in there, too. If you wouldn't mind filling it out, just drop it in our offering box on the way out. And if you have any questions about the church, I'd like to meet with you in the cafe afterwards for a cup of coffee or whatever, and we'll just chat. How about uh, first-time visitors over here? Welcome. Glad to have you with us this morning. Thanks for being with us. Praise God. All right. Um, I'm excited. I've got probably, my wife always tells me I have more to cover than I can possibly cover, but I'm going to do my best uh, this morning. Last week, we started a series on uh, really the importance of Israel in destiny and eschatology. Uh, If you have not heard that podcast, I would encourage you to get it. It's, uh, the Lord has chosen Jerusalem to be his own city. And I went through the significance out of Zechariah why God chose Jerusalem and what was so significant about what the president has just done in recognizing there's only nine nations that have recognized us, including Israel and the United States. There's only seven other nations, and they're very small. Even our own allies came out against us in the United Nations. This is a significant time. I won't go over that again, but I encourage you to pick up on that. Past, uh, it was Monday morning. Mike Hogan called me. I was probably about 8.30, all wound up. He gets wound up, but he was wound up. And uh, I rarely, I don't think, it was on CBN, right? Um, I don't know if any of you saw CBN Sunday night. I just happened to be bored flipping through the channels, and I saw this thing about Israel and its history. And they were preaching my sermon. I, and I know they, they created it a long time ago, but it was, the, it was and Pastor Mike said, uh, Mike said, you're, I'm 52 years old, is that what you said? And I've never heard the sermon in the last 8, 10 hours. I just heard it twice. So you think the Lord's trying to speak to us. And so this, this is a significant time. The Holy Spirit is dropping revelation. To those who have an ear to hear, let them listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Right? And so that revelation, one, it will inspire you. It will also encourage you. And this morning I want to pick up on part two of that series. And... Um, let me, I, to set that up, I want to ask you first a couple of questions. How many of you, by a show of hands, believe that we, personally and the United States, should support and protect the nation of Israel? Absolutely. Okay, look around, a pretty overwhelming number. Okay, question number two. Do the Jewish people have a right to exist and be a sovereign nation? Absolutely. Okay, by definition then, you are Zionists. You just answered the question of Zionists. In fact, the Zionist movement, here's the definition of a Zionist. It was a movement, start action in 1897 as a political organization under Theodore Herzl and later was championed by Heim Weizmann who became the first president of the new state of Israel. But the Zionist movement was for the reestablishment, remember that time it had been 2,000 years, no state of Israel, scattered to all the nations. 
So this is a dream. It was the movement to reestablish and as now the Zionist movement for the development and the protection of the Jewish nation, which is now Israel. So by definition, we are Zionists, those who raised your hand. That cemented for me in my first trip to Israel, which I'll share a little bit later. When I was growing up in the different denominations, I, I didn't hear much about it. In fact, there were times when I heard the negative. So let me ask this question. Who can give me a definition of what replacement theology is? Go ahead, Nancy. Okay. Replacement theology is a heresy, I believe, biblically. I'm going to do my best to show you at least some of the scriptures that it's, again, foundationally, we need to understand what the scripture says, and we know that the truth that sets us free, because you will be held accountable for the truth. My role is to help share. Now, don't take my word for it. Go into the scriptures, and you ask the Holy Spirit. I give you enough information. You could spend a week trying to study some of the scriptures, right? And I encourage you to do that. But we need to know the truth. And so replacement theology started back actually in the early church. There was a schism between Jews and believers, Gentile believers, and then Jewish believers who became believers in Christ. And that schism has existed for a long time. Well, the church, this is what the replacement theology belief is. It's also called fulfillment theology, which is such a... Or you can look it up or Google on it. You'll get the word super cessationism. Super sessionism, excuse me. Super sessionism. Just remember replacement theology. This is the heresy. The belief is that the church has replaced or superseded the Israelites as God's people and that the New Testament has replaced the Mosaic covenant completely. Now, if you read the word, I'm going to take us through several to try to cement the fact that that is not true. Now, it started to shift. You could see maybe up through 1948 that there was this place the Jews had been scattered. How could they ever come back as a nation? You tell me one nation that's ever been reestablished with the same language, with a group of people with the same. You show me one. There are none except this one, what the Jews have been able to do under the hand of, the God, of God. In fact, in 1965, even the Roman Catholic Church in the Vatican II Council, they started to shift, they softened, but they did believe that the church is the new people of God without intending to make Israel according to the flesh. The belief system is we, who are now the believers of Christ, have replaced the Jews, and they're really not God's people anymore. We are. That's a lie. It's a heresy. And I want to show you, let's open in Romans chapter 10 to begin with. I've titled this second series message, Israel and the United Nations, More Than Allies and We're Closer Than Friends. I'm going to do my best to show you we are family. Whether you know them, they are family. You've been grafted in to the same root system. So let's look at Romans chapter 10, and I want to pick up and be open in verse 19. Romans 10, 19. I'm going to read out of the New Living, but I also may re reference the King James in my parallel Bible. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the times of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through a people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. That's, there's a revelation of that. You can look at scripture there, but it's in Deuteronomy 32, 21, same thing that's quoted there. Later, Isaiah writes in verse 20, and later he spoke boldly for God saying, I was found by a people who were not even looking for me. That's us. I showed myself to those who were not even asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, all day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Chapter 11, verse 1. God's mercy on Israel. I ask, Paul says, then has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? 
Of course not, exclamation. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah, the prophet, complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. It's the same today. For a Jew, for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in the case, God's grace would not really be as it is, free and undeserved. So, this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found favor of God that they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones that God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest of them have been hardened, as the scripture says. God has put them into a deep sleep. For this is the day that they shut their eyes so they can't see. He shut their ears so they can't hear. Likewise, David, the bountiful table became a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble. Let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they can't see. And let their backs be bent forever. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. But he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were rich because people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much more greater the blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. I'm saying this especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me as an apostle to the Gentiles. And I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have. That you might save some of them. For since the rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Just as the entire batch of dough is holy because of the portion given as an offering, which is holy. For the roots of the tree are holy and the branches will be too also. But... Some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles were branches from the wild olive tree that have now been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessings God has promised Abraham and his children. Sharing the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. But... You must not brag and be being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. Doesn't get any clearer than this. You're just a branch. You are not the root. Well, you may say, but those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are those because you do believe. So don't Think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who have disobeyed, but kind if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted back in again. For God has the power to graft them in to the tree. You by nature, a branch, 
cut from the wild olive tree. So if God is willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into the cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branch back into the tree that they belong to. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud of yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. It's only going to last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved, as the scripture says. The one who rescues will come from Jerusalem, and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them, that they will then, I will take away their sin. Many of the people of Israel now enemies of good, the good news. And that's benefit to you Gentiles. But you are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gifts and his call are never withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of, God, of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels and God's mercy has come to you. But soon they too will share in God's mercy. For God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge how impossible is it for us to understand his decisions? Does it get any clearer than that? I wanted to read that to you because I don't know how you get replacement theology from that. What book are you reading? I mean, seriously, come on. So when someone says, well, you know, we're the new church and we've replaced it, you say, you might want to read Romans 11, buddy. You're one of those that have gotten pridefully arrogant and you can be grafted out. Let's, uh, let's look at another scripture. First, let me read this first paragraph, and then we'll go into Galatians chapter 3. Israel, and this is in your outline, Israel and the United States, more than allies and closer than friends. You Gentiles were branches of the wild olive tree. You're the wild bunch, right? You've been grafted in, so now you also receive the blessing God promised Abraham and his children, sharing rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Don't brag about being grafted in to replace the branches broken off. You're just a branch, not a root. Through Christ, Jesus God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessings he promised Abraham. I ought to get an amen right there. So that we who believe might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Galatians 3.14. True children of Abraham. You are the heirs and God's promise belongs to Abraham belongs to you. Turn to your neighbor and say, my granddaddy Abraham, I'm rich. You are rich. Man. What heirs and joint heirs. Now, it may not have all been, the will may not have all been given to you yet. It's there. It's caught up for us in that place. So let's look at Galatians chapter 3. I want to show you that one just briefly. In Galatians chapter 3, let's begin in verse 7. Galatians 3, 7. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scripture looked forward to the time when God would declare to the Gentiles to be righteous before, to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed the good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of faith. Goes on in verse 13, Christ rescued us from the curse He's the one who hung on the tree. Then it goes on. I want to finish. Look at verse 26, chapter 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothing. And there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. John 17, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And that ought to get you excited. So we're joined. There's this great big family of God. I want to divest a little bit. A few years ago, 
and I've been just diving into it. Um, I was given this book, Israel and the USA, <laughs> from Catherine. And uh, Catherine, I've just been in loving it. And the Lord just kind of put on my heart a whole lot of this revelation. I want to ask you, before you looked at the outline today, by show of hands, how many have heard the name Haim Salomon? About six of you. Okay. That's not unusual. Um, but I want you to know, it's unlikely, historians say, that the, American, the United States would not be the United States without him. So let's take a look at a couple of things. I want you to see several things. I want to now take you down the pathway that I believe you need to get a heart for Israel, not just study the word and say, okay, well, that's the way to pray into the fact that God has a family for you in Israel. If you've never been, it's one, it's, I've been in many, many nations, praise God, when I worked for General Electric and, when, and I've had this opportunity with missions. But when I step into the land of Israel, something happens. It's different. It's, it's a place it feels like home. And it's, I know it's the spirit within us. And I'm, I'm praying that there'll be that revelation for all of us. There, I want to see on the outline, two nations joined as family. You notice I read that in Romans, number one there, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. King James says, when the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. So I get this picture in my mind of this clock. You might think of the debt clock. God's got this salvation clock, I believe, in heaven because he knows in his book all who names are written and they have a party. I don't know how many times they have a party up there every time one sinner gets saved. But there's this, so there's this constant party and there's a clock probably going dee, 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 save, 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 right? But all of a sudden it's going to be boom. Then something is going to shift. When all the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, Israel, all Israel at that time will be saved. Number two, who said this? We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Isn't that interesting? That was Thomas Jefferson and the signers of the Declaration. And when I saw that, I just, I said, man, I, because this happened to me in Israel. But that, I, I didn't remember that out of the Declaration, but it says, we, the signers of the Declaration of Independence, Pledge to each other our lives, and it cost them their lives. Many of them lost their lives, and they lost their fortunes. But we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Now, that's a pledge. Thomas Jefferson, the signers of the Declaration, July 4th, 1776. I listed a name there in number three, and I want to share this. My wife and I, we were... Invited to go on this trip. Neil Blake had made, I think, nine or ten trips. Remember, we had, uh, he had, through a series of wild, come to the men's breakfast, uh, men's meeting. We're going to, I'm actually going to interview Neil, and we're going to talk about Israel and some of the things. But I'll just cut to the chase. He had been there and found favor with Israel. They actually call him an apostle there. And uh, he, think about it, setting up a 5,000-person tent on the Mount of Olives to do Christian worship when 90% of the Mount of Olives is controlled by the Muslims. Now, you think that might be a suicide mission. And I thought, Neil! And we sent our worship teams there, and many of you know the story there. But there's so much background history to get the permits and the raising of funds when, when five $50,000 anonymous checks come in to fund it, right? So something's going on. Well, I'd heard about all that. I said, Neil Cohen says, you need to go to Israel with us. We're going to be there. We're connecting. They, they want... This time of revelation it was not a good season under our prior president, right, with Israel. And so I, uh, I said, well, yeah, my wife, we'd like to go. So I was praying. Neil said, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to speak at the Knesset. We're going to have this connection in Ramada Inn. We're going to have the, there'll be members of the Knesset, the, the Israeli Congress, some of the cabinet members. There'll be prominent leaders. We're going to meet in Jerusalem in the Ramada Inn. I said, oh, man, I just want to be a fly on that wall. So I'm cutting the grass, we're going, we, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm hearing, I got my earmuffs on, and, and I feel the Holy Spirit says, you're going to go to Israel, but you're going to speak in Israel to the Knesset. And I'm like, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. That's pride and arrogance. And I, but I, I said, but just in case, Lord, because, man, that just came out of cutting the grass. 
if that's you, God, I'll do whatever you want. But I don't know why anybody would want to talk to this little pastor from North Carolina, right? So two weeks later, Neil calls me up. We're getting ready to go. He goes, I can't go. His wife had had knee replacement surgery. It didn't go as fast in recovery. He says, you got to speak for me in the Ramada Inn and at the Knesset. I'm going, Neil, I don't even need to pray about that. Um, I don't know what to say. So the Lord will tell you. I'm like, oh, great. So we go there. We have this amazing, and this trip in November, if you can go, ask the Lord if you can go. November 6th to the 16th, we're going. It's going to be an amazing time. As I shared last week, what our president just did, I believe there's going to be an open heaven of a connection that's going to happen there. Our worship teams are going. Uh, a worship team is going. We'll be, sp- we'll be doing worship on the Galilee. We'll be uh, worshiping. They- we'll just see what God's going to do with all that. My first trip, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm so in- just full. And, you know, we're about, I don't know, five or six days into it. We had a 12-hour day at the Ramada. The next day, I'm like, whew. We go to the Knesset. All the security to get into the Congress um, of the Israeli government, and we're going to speak to certain Knesset members, but they're going to give us a lunch first. So they bring our team in, and of course, they would like a connection with, with pastors and leaders from the United States and the world to, to like Israel. So they're being very hospitable. And then I realize this is set up. <laughs> My wife and I get ushered in, and we get placed at a round table in this luncheon. We sit down, we've got our plates of food, and we sit down, and then I realize. I'm sitting next to this man. He, he looks Israeli, almost Arab, and he's in broken English. They introduce him. He says, this is Ayub Kara. He is the Israeli Knesset Minister of Communications. He's on Prime Minister Netanyahu's cabinet. And I'm like, oh, great. And before we start to eat, he turns to me and looks me straight in the eye. He says, so, why are you here? And I'm like, this is not one of those, oh, we're going to have a nice tour. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit come on me, and I feel him right now. And I said to him, the very people that want to kill your children and your grandchildren want to kill mine. I pledge you my blood, my fortune, and my honor. He said, that's good. Let's eat. Come to find out later during the Lebanese conflict, he's a Druze. He's, he's not Jewish. But if you study any history of the Druze, they're in the northern area up by Lebanon. They are devoted to Israel. All of them serve in the Israeli army. And so I had found out that comment only shortly before that, two of his brothers had been killed in the Lebanese conflict. So this thing about sharing blood. So I, I believe that's the commitment. If you're devoted to Christ, he says, anyone who denies Christ, well, you don't want to do that, right? He, he will deny you. So we, there's something about family. We know our fathers and mothers, they will die for us if they're, if they're devoted to family and love. So I want you to see this cemented for me, this family relationship. I left from there changed. I read the Bible differently. The revelation of that is different to me. I, I get up, my, my heart has been opened, my eyes see, I, I get more of the mysterious parts of God being revealed to me as a result of that, that this is family. Now, I want you to look at this, a little bit of history. Number four, first of all, that's Solomon. It should be S-A-L. I spelled it wrong twice there. The story of Haim Solomon, a forgotten patriot, lived from 1740 to 1885. The book that's written by David Allen Lewis He was a Polish Jew recognized in 1975 by the U.S. In fact, they created a commemorative stamp. And at that time, and I have the stamp right here. It's very unusual to have on the words the writing on there that I have quoted on the back of the stamp. This is what was on the back of the stamp. Financial hero, businessman, and broker, Haim Salomon, was responsible for raising most of the money needed to finance the American Revolution and later to save the nation from collapse. We're in financial ruin. In fact, it says when he went to the front lines with George Washington, we had one bayonet, bent bayonet, between one to three men. 
Only one had a musket of that, about two or three. We were in dire straits. And he had finances. He was a broker. He came here. There's actually a monument in downtown Chicago. I have a little picture of it here on the back. It shows George Washington. Most of us say, hey, that's the father of our nation. We know. Most of us not, might not know Robert Morris, but I've listed them. And then there's this third man standing there next to him. And it happens to be Haim Salomon. Downtown monument, George Washington, Robert Morris, and Haim Salomon, father of our nation. And then Robert Morris, superintendent of finance, who actually was somewhat anti-Semitic, just for information and history. But because of the dire straits, God set it up. He had to go ask Haim for money. He was part of the Continental Congress and then this Jewish supporter in the fight for America's independence. I want you to know, Haim gave all. He was imprisoned by the British. He died of tuberculosis and complications, sick and penniless at the age of 45. He left a widow and a child. And when the widow went to try to get some of the money for her to live on, she was never paid a penny. It's estimated today, through historical records, that he loaned personally over $600,000. That's a lot of money in those days, a lot of money today. Today, estimated from that date to now, with some reasonable interest, we owe Heim $2.5 trillion. That's trillion with a T. That's a thousand billions. Billion is a thousand million. That's a lot of money, right? But I want you to understand something here as well. It's really not about the money. I believe it's part of the destiny. It's about covenant family. Number five there, we are one family. Both Israel, number six, both Israel and the U.S. have been part of God's destiny plan. The U.S. was the first nation to recognize Israel as a nation. And I shared last week the crazy lineup of General Allenby, the prime minister of of, uh, Truman in office. All those people were Bible scholars who believed they were Zionists. President Truman supported Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion, and on May 14, 1948, the first president of Israel, Dr. Haim Weissman, presented the Torah to President Truman at the White House on May 25, 1948. I believe that's in Truman's library. Since 1949, to the, 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 I could only find records up to 2013, but so it's more. The U.S. has given $130.2 billion in direct aid to Israel. The source of that is Congress Watch. You can look it up if you like. In the Middle East, Israel is the only democracy and a reliable ally. This is about covenant and family. The world can't discern it. We just saw that last couple of weeks ago when the United Nations and 150 some odd nations came against us when Trump stood up and said, we're going to move our embassy, because we recognize Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. I went all through that last week and showed you that, all 14 chapters of Zechariah. The devil wants to destroy this relationship. He knows. We will be blessed as long as we stand with Israel. And this is a quote out of Zechariah I shared last. I'm watching closely to ensure that no more foreign oppressors overrun my people's land. Because of the covenant that I made with you, sealed with blood. That's God's promise. In the closing moments here, I want to ask you to turn to Ezekiel. I want you to see a prophecy. I touched on it briefly last week and didn't have much time. I want you to see we are living in what I believe is the last days. Not sure when. I'm not going to tack a date on it. Obviously, that's not right. Jesus said nobody knows the day or the hour. But it's going to come suddenly. It's going to happen suddenly when you least expect it. It may come when there's peace and safety. He says, Jesus told us. Look at, let's begin in Ezekiel chapter 36 for a moment. I'm going to cherry pick. I want you to see. Now, this book written 600 B.C. Now, Zechariah shared last week 500 B.C. 
These are prophets of the Lord with revelation of what would happen in the last days. We know Zechariah prophesied that the temple would be rebuilt. The exiles come back from Babylon. They're rebuilding the temple. Then he prophesies both Jesus would ride on a donkey as a humble servant coming into We saw that. He prophesied that exactly as it happened. Then he said they would pierce him, and one day they would mourn for the very son that they pierced. That's, that's Israel. Revelation it says they will mourn by clans, every tribe by themselves. You look at it in Zechariah. Just go through Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, but powerful. Then he says, let me tell you about the restoration of, his, of Jerusalem and what will happen in the second coming. I mean, you look at that, it's like, wow. Now, years ago, we would have thought, oh, how's this all going to happen? But since 1948, then the capture of Jerusalem in 1967, and now where we are today, I want you to pick up and look at Ezekiel 600 B.C. In, verse, in chapter 36, we know this part. Chapter 36 is all about the restoration of Israel, the future restoration of Israel. Son of man, prophesy, verse 1. Give this message, O mountains of Israel. Your enemies have taunted the sovereign Lord. Your enemies have taunted you, saying, Now, where are the ancient heights that belong to you? Aha, the ancient heights. The Son of Man has, will give the mountains. It goes through this whole, the mockery of you've lost everything, Israel, right? We know in 70 AD, they were scattered by the Romans, not to be formed again until that state after the Holocaust. Things started to shift after the Holocaust. In fact, the Catholic Church, if you ever go through Yad Vashem or the Holocaust Museum, go to the one in, in uh, Washington. It will wreck you. If you have any spirit of God in you, you walk through that. The Yad Vashem, which we will see on this trip in, in uh, Jerusalem, when you walk through there, the history of how the Gentiles turned their back on the Jews, how the Antichrist, Hitler, came onto the scene and murdered six million of them, and then the world says, wait a minute. That's when things started to shift. That's why Iran and the leaders, the mullahs, want to say the Holocaust never happened. It's an antichrist spirit that's been there from the beginning, and it's tied into replacement theology. We've replaced them. Forget about them. There's a movement about right now, which I'm so happy to hear, that even our, our governor, Cooper, you don't hear anything much about this, has come against the boycott of Israel. There's a movement called BDS, Boycott Divestments and Sanctions. You ever hear BDS say, look, that doesn't line up with Scripture. But what it is is they're going to boycott buying Comp buying from companies and individuals that support businesses that work in Israel. It's an anti-Israeli movement. Just another form of the Antichrist. But our state is one of 22 that has joined with, we're not partnering with that. In fact, you know, constitutionally, our, our state government, several years ago, signed up unanimously supporting Israel. You wonder why... North Carolina is a blessed state. Amen. It's going to be a sheep state instead of a goat state. Come on. You be praying about this. We need to stay fixed and firmed on this. Now, let me give you some more information here. In, in Ezekiel, verse 19, 36, 19. Remember, this is now written to the future restoration of Israel, written in 600 B.C. Here's what he says. I scattered you, verse 19, to many lands to punish them. We just read about their hardened hearts that you Gentiles have been grafted in because of their hard heart. It's God's plan. To punish them for the evil way they've lived. They were scattered among the nations. Verse 22. Therefore give the people of Israel this message, the sovereign Lord says. I'm bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to, because to protect my holy name, on which... You brought shame. While you were scattered among the nations, I will show you how my great name is, the name which you brought shame upon in the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through, through you, before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, that the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from the nations and bring you to a home again in your land. 
And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey the regulations. And you will live in Israel, a land I gave your ancestors long ago. Drop down to verse 33. The sovereign Lord says, when I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities. Your ruins will be rebuilt. Your fields that used to lie empty and desolate in plain view, as you drive through the farmland, they are now, I think, second in produce. It's unbelievable. This little land, it's not even the size of Rhode Island. It's, it's, it's just incredible. God is, it's, it's God, right? The former wasteland, which is now, will be like a garden of Eden. Eden. Turn over. The ruined cities, it says, the last verse here, will be crowded with people once more, and everyone will know that I am the Lord. Then you have this famous scripture, the valley of the dry bones. Ezekiel said, the Lord has, can these bones live? And he prophesies to the bones to raise them up. This is the restoration of Israel. It's used in a lot of ways, but this is that prophetic message that the winds will blow and that will be restored. Because look at this in verse 30, uh, chapter 37. Look at verse 13. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O oh my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return to your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord and I have spoken and I have done this. Yes, I have spoken. Look at verse 19. Remember, Israel and Judah were separate. They were allies. After the death of Solomon, the, 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 the tribe separated. The Lord prophesies in the reunion that will come in the future, there will be one group, not separate. Israel and Judah will be one. The tribes will be one. He says this in verse 9. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take Ephraim and the northern tribes and I will join them with Judah and I will make them one piece of wood in my hand. Then hold out the piece of wood that you've been ascribed and the people will see and they will come. I will bring them into their own land. I will gather them from the places where I have scattered them. I will unify them into one nation on the mountains of Israel. When you stand in the Golan Heights during the Six-Day War, when they were attacked during their holiest time, six nations came against them. They were pushed back into the place. There's miracle reports, I've heard, directly from some of the, those who were eyewitnesses. Where the, the Egyptian in, the, in Sinai, the Egyptian tanks well outnumbered the Israeli tanks. Sandstorm comes up, and the, the Egyptians, they retreat. They said, we saw so many Israeli tanks. There was one. The soldiers who said they came and they were defending the barriers of that during the Six-Day War, the, the Jordanians who had control of Jerusalem said, and you can see the bullet holes in the walls that are still there. They said, we saw giants behind them. You don't think God's going to guard his people? We need to make sure we're on the right side of this. He's a God who can be both severe and faithful. Then he goes on, he says, I will make a covenant of peace. Verse 26, chapter 37. I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. I will gather them. Their land will increase. Their numbers will increase. And I'll put my temple there forever. Chapter 38. Now here's the upcoming war. And in the stage is being set. When you look at Iran, which is Persia, in 1937, Iran changed its name from Persia to Iran. I went to military college with some of the Iranian officers that were with us during the fall of the Shah. And since the mullahs have come in and Khomeini and all of them have raised up, there's been nothing but hatred and this going forth of sowing discord and hatred for the annihilation of Israel. I told you last week in their, the 12th Imam, their belief system is that they are to get nuclear weapons and to cause a nuclear war which will rush, usher in the 12th Imam. And Allah will then sit this is not, they, they are not like other enemies of ours that might have a concern about neutral de, uh, nu, nuclear deterrence. They want war. Be careful. 
It goes on and says in 38, there will be a day coming. Chapter 38, verse 1. This another message came to me from the Lord, Ezekiel said, 600 BC, right? I, son of man, turn my face against Gog in the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshach and Tobol. You go into the study of that. Just go in and look at historically where they have settled. That's Russia. This prophecy, give this message, the sovereign Lord says, I am your enemy. I will turn around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out. Your whole army, your horses, your charioteers, full armor. The great horde of arms, shields, and swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya will join you. And all their weapons, Gomer and its armies will join you. I will, they will come from the distant north. Just draw a line. From Israel north, there's Moscow. I will take them from the distant north, many others. Get ready, be prepared. Call all the nations and ar- call all the armies. Be mobilized, take command of them. A long time from now, you will be called into action. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which when they are enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. You and all your allies, a vast, awesome army will roll down like a storm that covers like a cloud. Sounds like paratroopers to me. This is the sovereign Lord says in the time of evil thoughts will come. Verse 12, I will go to those formal desolate cities now filled with people who have returned from exile in, the nation, in many nations. I will, cap, I will cast vast amounts of plunder. Verse 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish. I like the, it also says that the young lions, many have interpreted that. Again, I don't know. We know that our allies, Great Britain, is the flag of the lion. Australia, the United States, Canada, many of us have been populated from those nations. Are we the young lions? Scripture says, the lion, the young lions thereof will say, wait a minute, you're not going against the people of Israel. Sounds like an alignment right now, but just saying. Again, you read it for yourself. Verse 15, you will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry, your mighty army, and you will attack my people of Israel, covering it like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches. Is that CNN? Fox News? You know, when we watch the prior war on TV, everyone's going to watch. I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness is displayed by what you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in the future I will bring you against my people? He's going to demonstrate his greatness. Chapter 39, I'll I'll end here, but it says, they will come from the distant north. Verse 6 of chapter 39, I will rain down fire on Magog and all your allies who live safely on the coasts, and they will know that I'm the Lord. Does that sound like nuclear war? Could be. Hey, I, again, I'm not trying to bring fear, but I am trying to bring us to a place with, wow, 600 B.C., 2,600 years ago, this prophet told us what looks like what could be today. The stage has been set. So then what do we do with that? Well, one, you ought to get excited to be in the kingdom. You're in the ark of Jesus. You ought to be happy. I'm in the ark of Jesus, and I don't care how this all works out. I want to be on the first train out of here. But, Lord, I know that you got a plan. So let's stand. I want to pray, Revelation, that you'll get hungry to go study these scriptures for yourself. Say, wow. And as it starts to unfold more and more, but please, please, there is such a spiritual war going on in our nation right now. It is so divisive, so wicked. The Lord is uncovering Sexual immorality, those who used power for sexual gratification. He's doing it throughout Hollywood. He's doing it in the government. He's uncovering those places 
of immorality. There's going to be a move to restore. I believe we're going to be given a window of opportunity. The Lord could replace Supreme Court justices, could reverse Roe v. Wade, get this scourge of over 40 million children's blood that's on our nation. We've got a president, I told you, he wasn't hired to teach Sunday school. And he's got thick skin. And, you know, I told you, he probably needs prayer ministry, but you pray for him. Keep praying for him and, his, and that the Lord, we're, first of all, we're commanded in Romans 13 to do that. God puts people in power that he wants there. So, Lord, we just come before you this morning, and, Lord, we want to be excited and passionate about your word. Because you said in Hebrews 4.12, it's full, full of living power. And it's able to cut between soul and spirit. It's a double-edged sword that brings revelation. The soulish realm must bow to the spirit realm. Through your word, that brings truth that gives us the revelation because you are the way and you are the truth and you are life. So Lord, I'm asking your people to get just really excited and hungry about the word. They'll be in it. They'll see it. They'll see the relevancy. They'll study it. Say, wow, what do you think about that? What do you think? Lord, I pray that the word will become active. So Lord, I pray now for our nation. I pray for Israel. Lord, I thank you. There's many others hidden in this history of the United States that paid a big price. I thank you for those who have stood at great cost have stood. Lord, I pray that you'd raise up more Zionists that will stand. That we know that Genesis 12, 3 says, those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. God, we, they're the apple of your eye. We've been grafted in. We know we're the wild bunch. And I thank you that you like the wild bunch. There's no more Jew, Gentile, male, female, no more. Lord, we've been placed in that place in the spirit, grafted in. But help us to be those who pursue holiness. This is not, oh, I'm grafted in, everything's fine. No, holiness, devotion, purpose. God, I ask for dreams and vision, revelation. Lord, we thank you. I pray now your blessing on every family that's here, that your word would be active and alive. Lord, I pray... There's 100 million some odd people watch the Super Bowl today. Let it be done. Holiness, Lord. Without craziness. Lord, I pray for security. I pray for peace. Lord, I pray that the halftime show, I don't know what they're going to do. We're going to have our own. <laughs> but it would be honoring, not crazy. For the world is watching. Let this be a nation of a light on a hill. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ministry team, if you'll come, I invite the uh, worship team, if you'll come. If there's any visitors who'd like to take a few minutes, I'll be in the, in the cafe for a few minutes.